chapter 21. And uh, hey, Jay, can I get you to, Jason, can we turn that, can we turn that furnace off there? And yeah, save you. Oh, there it is. It clicked off on its own. Good stuff. Right on. Hey, well, this morning we are finishing teaching our way as a church right through the entire New Testament. This is the very last chapter, and I've had the privilege of teaching this church right through from Matthew to Revelation, and uh, so it feels kind of cool, pretty significant anyways, and I was uh, was just kind of reminiscing on some of that, and just my desire when I first came here to this church as a young pastor to just say, I want to teach the whole counsel of God and walk our church through, and I'm gonna, we're going to go through the whole Bible. And uh, to knock off the, the entire New Testament now seems pretty, uh, pretty significant. And uh, yeah, there's quite a few folks that have been with us all the way through. We started in July 2007. That's pretty crazy, eh? July t- uh, 2007. And um, I was recalling, uh, I had one day when I was pretty, pretty new as the pastor still, uh, probably in the first year or two, um, another pastor was visiting and he had a, a young guy, a young pastor with him and we were just yapping and talking shop and uh, the young guy says to me, he says, uh, so when you started teaching through the Bible, what book did you start in? I said, oh, I started in Galatians and he went, why would you start in Galatians? And uh, yeah, I wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> That was my flesh. That was my first reaction. And then um, I said, what are you talking about, man? Like, Galatians is awesome. First of all, the Lord said, let's go to Galatians. And, and for me, uh, the reason why I felt that is because I wanted our church to, I wanted this church that I was, had the opportunity to serve uh, to be a, a place of grace. Because the book of Galatians is about the revelation of grace and not falling into works. And it had been significant for me in my own walk with the Lord. And so it was like awesome to start there. Anyways, funny story, eh? Just thought I'd tell you that. So, so now what? Well, guess what? We just keep going. There's lots of, Bi- lots of Bible un- not, not, not yet taught here. We haven't, we've, we've deterred at different times into the Old Testament. But we're going to just keep going. Yeah, that's kind of one of the values of getting to come out on Wednesday night. I would encourage you, you know, those of you who are coming on Wednesday night, tell tell people some of the value of that. I mean, we've been having a sweet time just learning so much and seeing Jesus so much in the Old Testament. And uh, so I encourage you to come come join us. So cool. We're coming to John chapter 21 this morning. Let's, let's start with prayer. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We come before you, Lord, and we ask that you would break the bread of your word, that by your spirit, Lord, you would open our hearts Lord, that you would open our minds, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears, that we would see the wonderful things, Lord, that are in your word, that we would see Jesus more clearly, that um, we would grow in understanding the power of the resurrection and what it meant for John and what it meant for Peter and what it meant for these first followers of of you in, in the early church. And so, Lord, we we, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that the written word always leads us to the living word, and that's why we love the word of God, because Jesus, we want to meet with you. And so, Lord, uh, we, we pray that we would experience your power and your presence, Lord, and you speaking to us this morning through, through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So, you know, as you come to this chapter, John 21, it's kind of interesting because really, like, the truth is, if John's gospel had just ended at chapter 20, it would have been all good. Like, you know, after recounting the death and the resurrection of Jesus, all of the history of what happened with regards to the cross and the transaction that happened on the cross as Jesus paid for the sins of the world and then, then died and was buried in the tomb and then rose from the dead and began to appear uh, to those people early followers of him after he'd been raised from the dead. And John led us right up to the point where he told us the story of Thomas. And he told us this about Thomas, that when Jesus showed 
Thomas his hands and his side and his feet and said, here, put your finger where the nail hole was, where the nail hole is. Put your hand in my side. Thomas never had to touch Jesus. He just professed and said, my Lord and my God. And Thomas is the first man in scripture to like make that profession of Jesus, that confession that Jesus was God, to recognize Jesus as his deity, to recognize Jesus as the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. My Lord, the one whom I serve, my God, the one whom I worship. And so Thomas makes this profession of Jesus. And and so really this gospel could have ended right there. He could have closed it because that was the whole point John's been leading us to. All the way through this gospel, he's been leading us to this point and he's saying, I want, I tell you these things. I write these things to you so that you'll come to this conclusion that Jesus is the son of God and that by coming to this conclusion, you'll believe in him and have life in his name. That's why John said that he wrote all of these things. And so really, his purpose was fulfilled by the time he tells us about Thomas. The first man who says, Jesus, my Lord and and my God. But fortunately for us, we get this little epilogue, you know, like this little concluding chapter, chapter 21. And it serves as, yeah, like a like a bookend a little bit on John's on John's gospel, his account of Jesus' life and its ministry. Because, you know, it seems that, you know, John didn't want to, remember, this guy's old. You know, we forget this. I'm going to talk about this a little bit towards the, but the, he's an old man. This is, this is uh, a, around the year 85. Jesus crucified around the year 33. So he, he's like, Looking back with 50 years of history, serving Jesus, preaching the gospel, planting churches, discipling people, doing evangelistic. He's got 50 years of walking with Jesus, the resurrected Lord, in the rearview mirror as he tells these stories. And he didn't want to wrap up this gospel without telling us a little bit more about himself and about another man. The man that he had raced to the tomb with on that resurrection Sunday. You know, the two of them had run together, Peter and John. Approached that tomb, and and of course, you know, as John liked to point out, he had beat Peter to the tomb. And without this chapter, the prominence of what happened with Peter, and, you know, we turn to the book of Acts and see what goes on with Peter and how God used him so mightily at the day of Pentecost. He preached the word of God, and 3,000 people were saved. I mean, a lot of it wouldn't make sense because we're left with a lot of unanswered questions with regards to Peter. And so John's gospel in this 21st chapter is so important because it clarifies for us what happened with Peter after his betrayal. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, John records for us as we're going to see Peter's reinstatement, his recommissioning of the Lord. And, you know, maybe that was common for people in the first century to know, oh yeah, Peter like had this life-changing experience with Jesus after the resurrection that like put him back on on track and maybe that was like commonly known but John wrote this gospel after Peter was already dead like Peter's dead when this is written and so you know he wanted to correct rumors he wanted to like make sure information was was right with with regards to uh, the early church, that he also wanted to correct some information about himself because this rumor was floating around that John was going to live forever until Jesus came back again. And so John brings clarity about Peter, about himself, but another awesome purpose of this chapter, I think, is to show us how belief in Jesus should be applied, that when you follow Jesus, what does that look like for the rest of your life? What did it look like for John and Peter and for these for these men, I love baby Christ, Melissa, so it's all good, okay? <laughs> How is belief to be applied? See, I would tell you this. Faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus and Jesus saves you and you're born again, that's the starting line. That's the, that's the and you bust out of the gates. That's just the starting point. And John wrote all those things 
he says, so that, he says, I write these things so that you would believe Jesus is the Son of God and so that believing you would have this, you would have life in his name. Not just so that you'd believe. You know, maybe you can look back on your life and you can go, yeah, you know, I know when I made a decision for Jesus when I got saved. It happened on this date, you know. It happened in this place. It was this year. It was this month. I remember it was a coworker that led me to Jesus. I remember it happened at the back of a church service. I, I remember I was all by myself. Whatever it was, you know, you, you, have, you have that moment when you're like, yeah, Jesus changed my life and I got saved. And that matters. It matters that you believe in Jesus. It matters. In fact, it's everything. But living for Jesus is not just an event in the past, church. Living for Jesus is a life that is to be experienced daily. Living for Jesus is a life that looks to the finish line and says, yes, there was a starting point, but I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going and experience the life that Jesus offers. And this chapter shows us some of that. Some of that. What, what does it mean to live for Jesus once we've believed? So let's check it out. Verse 1. John tells us this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, John and, John and James, the sons of Zebedee, and, and the two other disciples were going together. Funny those guys. How would you like to be? I, actually, I'd be okay with that. You can just mention me. If I, if I get counted amongst the disciples, that's good. My name doesn't need to be remembered in history. That's these guys, the two other disciples. Oh, yeah. What was their names? Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, it's amazing when you think about the disciples, one of the things we know about these guys is that there's 12 of them. Judas is gone, so we're down to 11. And out of 11, seven for sure, by trade, by occupation, prior to following Jesus, were fishermen. They, they made their living on the Sea of Galilee. And, and so for them... You know, naturally, you, you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but there's like something nostalgic about certain work. Guys, guys especially understand this. I think women too at the same time, but it's like, you know, it's like, where's nostalgia? For, like nostalgia for me is sawdust and chainsaw and front end loaders. And there's like, ah, ooh, something I like about that. Um, and we all have that, some area of life. You know, where it's like, okay, well, if I ended up in the spot where I was doing nothing, what would I do? Well, you know, maybe you grew up on a farm. You, you go back to the farm. <laughs> you know, maybe you grew up on the water. You go back to the water. You go back to what's familiar to you, what's nostalgic to you. And Peter's like, look it, I don't want to hang out and do nothing. I don't know. He told us to go to Galilee. I'm going fishing, which is a good choice. I like to go fishing. <laughs> Yes, Jesus had risen from the dead, but Peter's like, now what? Now what do I do? Okay, that's great. Now what? I guess I'll just get to work and find something useful to do. And, and Peter and the guys were skilled at fishing, so they went back to their old trade. And, you know, it was, I would say this, it was right for them to return home. They were called to go back to Galilee. Jesus said, go back to Galilee, and I'll, and I'll meet you there. But, it was wrong for them to do this. It was wrong for them to return to their old calling. They just didn't know it yet. And I think there's a danger for us there as well. That in our, that in our concentration and our focus on, hey, I got to like make a life. I, I got to make a living. I got to create livelihood. That, that we might forget that, that the life that Jesus gives to us and that which he called us to is like that of the first disciples. See, Jesus had called them into a new reality. And when you follow Jesus, he will do the same for you. He will call you into a new reality. And Peter and the guys went, went fishing, but it was a backwards move. That's what we need to see this. This is not, this is not forward finish line thinking. This is like, oh yeah, I don't know what else to do, so I'll just go back. And so they went fishing, and fishing on the Galilee actually 
with regards to the trade of fishing typically happened at nighttime, which is interesting. It's just the situation was better. The conditions were better for fishing. But as skilled as these men were, what we read here, they're out on the boat all night and they strike out. Uh, that's how it goes in fishing sometimes, right? You guys know that I love to go fishing. You know, we had our church camp out last, last fall and then us guys, a bunch of us, four of us stuck around and when everybody left, we said, we're fishing till it's dark. And we stayed out on the water as long as we could and four rods in the water and we struck out. Nobody got anything. Well, almost, but I'll tell that story in a minute. And to me, that, that speaks, as, these, as, as John tells us, we were, out, we were out, we got nothing all night long. And it, and it speaks to the, the futility and the, and the fruitlessness of these men returning to old means after putting their faith in Jesus. It's not that there was anything wrong with the work. Work is good. Work is good. There was nothing wrong with the work. You should work is healthy and right and honorable and godly and holy. It's just that when we are in Christ, work is not just good. Work is worship. Work is an act of worship to Jesus. There, there's, a, there's a new dynamic and a new purpose in work when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And for these guys, that was missing. It was just like the return to the old life. For them, a return to fishing was, that, was an act of living in the past rather than living in the calling and the power of Jesus. And so the result was this. They fished all night. They got nothing. Verse 4, check it out. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. Wow, that's crazy. I love these gospel stories. Aren't they wonderful? Day's breaking. Jesus is on the shore. They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus says to them, children, do you have any fish? It's kind of interesting. They're men. Children. Calling them children, it's like somehow, you know, here's what I would say. Somehow we, we picture these guys way older than they were. Go, oh yeah, like Peter's like 75 already or something. No, I don't know. We like picture like a beard like this with gray in it. That wasn't Peter. P Peter and the boys were young men. Like tops 25. John for sure is like still a teenager. These are, these are, these guys are all under 25, not bearded and old, like me. You know, if you're like under 25, I want you to know this. You, you need to know this. And I know you know this, but I, wanna, I want you to hear it, that Jesus loves to use young men and women. He loves that. Loves to use the young. Children, do you have any fish? They're like, no. Actually, no, no fisherman ever says that. Do you have any fish? I've never said no, ever. I tell a story. That's what I do. Tell a story. Oh, you guys went camping after church camping. Did you get any fish? We got an octopus. We hooked an octopus. You know, it was dramatic. Darcy was trying to pull a thing into the boat. It was wrapping around everywhere. And we cut one of its tentacles off, and it got away. They grow back. It's okay. So we didn't hurt it. And it was so, see, no fisherman ever says, no, I don't have any fish. They like tell a story. But, but the way Jesus words this question actually in the original language was with a double negative. He's like inferring an expected answer. He's like, you haven't got anything, have you? It's like, they don't have a choice to tell a story. It's like, hey, kids, you don't got anything out there, do you? It was a challenge, you know? You think about it? You've been working so hard, spending so much time, all that energy, up all night, nothing to show for it. 
Sometimes that's my life. You ever feel like that? Time and money, meetings, appointments, programs, organizing, this, that, busy, 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 busy. You got nothing to show for it, do you? You got any fish in there? No, Lord. You still got nothing out there? You know, the, the most amazing thing, it actually even said the biggest miracle in this chapter is that fishermen took advice from somebody on the shore. Throw your net on the other side. And they did. They threw their net on the other side of the boat and, and John tells us, we couldn't haul the net in. There's seven guys on the boat. They could not haul the net in to the boat. The, 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 the catch was so large. And, it, and it's like amazing to think, wow, look at how close they were to success. Think about us. Busy, 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 busy. Life, 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 life going on. Our time, money, energy, programs, this, that, whatever. These guys were so close to success, toiling and working and like the fish are meters away on the other side of the boat, a few feet away. It's like, wow, you know, you're never that far from success if you just take your orders from the right person. Jesus. And it was when they couldn't pull their, their net into the boat that something began to happen in their hearts and their minds. Something clicked. Let's read on verse 7. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. It's, it's comical. You know, it's just like that morning that they came to the empty tomb. Remember John, Peter, running? Reports from Mary that the stone had been rolled away and that the body of Jesus was stolen. So they boot it to the tomb. John's faster, so he gets there first. John stands at the entrance of the tomb. He peeks in, sees the grave cloth lying there, and he says, I understood, I knew. Peter runs right into the tomb. No hesitation. It's the same thing here. John's like, hey, it's the Lord. Peter's like, where? Jump in the water. <laughs> in he goes. And, and, and there's John. John understood that something supernatural, something miraculous had happened to them out on the water as they caught this haul of fish. Uh, not a single fish all night, and now they can't even pull the net into the, into the boat. And so John, John understood this, and I think that something flashed in his mind, something that had happened to them years earlier. Almost the identical thing happened. I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. This had happened before. I'm going to read from verse 4 of Luke chapter 5. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I, I always hear sarcasm whenever I read that, but at your word. But it's a good thing, at your word. I'll, your word is my command. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. That is amazing. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. John's like, wait a minute. This has happened to us before. Somebody's on the shore. It's, it's, it's the Lord. We, we worked all night. We've caught nothing. Then Jesus tells 
tells them, they hear from the shore, throw your net on the other side of the boat. And now it's, it's so full that, that they can't haul it in. And the previous time, so full that the net was breaking and was going to sink two boats, that there was so much fish. And both boats are, are filled. And so John remembered as they tried to pull the net in on this morning, and he said, it's the Lord. It's the same thing. But, you know, I, I want to just point out one thing to you that's different between the first hall and the second hall. And it's this. And it's important. The difference between the first time and the second time. The first time, the nets broke. The second time, it didn't. See, there was something different because Jesus had been crucified and raised from the dead. There was a resurrection power that was available to these men to serve the Lord. The net didn't break. Seven men could not haul this net into a boat. Three years earlier, Jesus was teaching those disciples and he said, I, I, I can, they hauled, it in, hauled in the load of fish and he's like, Look, you're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going you're gonna to fish for men. I'm going to make you effective fishermen, but, but you're, not, you're not ready to pull in the nets. You're not fully equipped. You're not mature enough. But three years later, the net didn't break. And, and now he says, you can, you can pull it in. You can catch them. You can pull in the net. We're going to see that in a second here. And this, this was a lesson to communicate to these guys. They were now strong enough for the task that God had for them to witness to others, to draw in the nets for the kingdom of God, and they would not break. And as they pulled the net, it didn't break. Even though they couldn't pull it into the boat, John said, it's the Lord. And it's strange when you read what happens next, because usually when you go swimming, you kind of strip down to your swimsuit, and then you go. But Peter starts putting on clothes. And then he goes to the water, because we read that he was stripped for work. So he put on his outer garment, flung himself into the water, and made his way for shore. And Peter was wearing, would have been wearing just a loincloth. When, when they went fishing, you know, they got wet. They smelled like fish. You know that. It's like, man, sometimes you can go fish and come home and shower, and you still, like, smell fish. And, and, and so Peter stripped down out of his clothes, and they would just work in their loincloths. And, and, and he's like, this isn't the way for me to see the the master, the Lord. So he puts on his outer garment, his clothes. He jumps into the water. It's just like when he ran into that, into that tomb while John stood on the outside, though he was the first to arrive. John was the first to arrive mentally. But Peter was the one in the water. Something, something lovable about this guy, isn't there? Always. Swims to shore. Peter loved Jesus more than fish but the others weren't about to lose the catch. So look at what happens. Verse 8. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, pulling it behind. For they were not far off from the land, about 100 yards. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish. 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. And now, and this was now the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. They get to the shore, and what did they get? Well, first thing John says, this is, we got another revelation of Jesus. It's wonderful when you get a revelation of Jesus. This is the third time he revealed himself to us. After his resurrection. Previously, Jesus had appeared to them in a locked room twice with these guys. Once without Thomas, once with Thomas. Into their midst, standing in the middle of them in these locked rooms at nighttime while they were like hiding out. But now it's morning daylight. It's daytime on the outside, not a locked room. It's like out in the open. It, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, this is, 
hey guys, I'm not a ghost. You didn't have a hallucination or anything like that. Uh, let me make you breakfast. This was real. And, and I'm sure... I'm sure about these guys that since the last time they had had these thoughts that you and I have. Was that real? Did that really happen? Were we all nuts? Did we experience Jesus or like, you know how things start to get blurry after a little bit of time and you, you can question, did, did my mind play tricks on me? No, this was real. Jesus is real. The resurrection is real. You know, you can have un uncertainty about that at times, but I want to tell you, it's why it's important why we gather. Jesus is real. The resurrection is real. It's real. In Jesus, there's life. It's real. It's real. And Jesus had a fire going and breakfast ready, and they wanted to ask, is it really you, Jesus? Is it really you? But John says, we didn't, we didn't dare ask because we knew. We knew. And I, and I love that these men experienced uncertainty just like you and I experience. You ever have those days with the Lord? Like, man, yesterday I'm up here, today I'm down here. What the heck? But it was real. And sometimes all you need to hear is Jesus is real, the resurrection is true, and and every resurrection appearance of Jesus to these men made it more real. And, and earlier, John told us that, well, he told us this, that seven men could not pull a net into a boat. Now look again at verse 10 and verse 11. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish. What? Seven dudes couldn't pull that net in. Seven men could not pull that net in. And that Jesus word at his command, Peter did it by himself. By himself. That's a transformed man. That's a changed man. That's resurrection power. That's life in Jesus' name at work. The word of God, the very source of power. See, when Jesus says something, when he tells you to do something, power is inherent in his word to complete the task. Pull the net ashore. You got it, boss. Whoop. I wonder if the other guy's eyes were big as saucers. Like, seriously. See, the resurrection of Jesus matters for us to experience life in Jesus' name. The resurrection fits into the pattern of everyday living. And in the resurrection of Jesus and faith in his name, there is power to live for Jesus today. John says there was 153 fish. That's a lot of fish. And I don't think they were little ones. Just a guess. It simply, it simply means this. This is a miracle, you know. It's no magic to that number. It's just like, this is insane, all these fish. And the amazing thing, too, is that Jesus is there and he's got food ready for them. God has prepared for them food. God has prepared for them food. Refreshment. Hey boys, you worked hard all night. You're hungry, you're tired, your resources are spent. Come and eat. Let's have some breakfast. It's funny, he told them in John 1, come and see. He told them in John 7, come and drink. And now he tells them in John chapter 20, come and eat, come have breakfast with me. You know, the first thing when we, we're gonna do when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven, when Jesus comes and gets us, he takes us to heaven that we would be with him where he is. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to sit down with him. We're going to eat. Big banquet table. Going to eat with the Lord. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus shared with his disciples the last supper, but here he's with them. He's having breakfast. It's good to have breakfast with the Lord. 
Breakfast is a good time to have your Bible open, sitting at your table with your cup of coffee and have breakfast with Jesus. Supper comes at the end of the day, you know. It's like something's ending. Something's coming to a conclusion when you're having breakfast. Supper is looking towards the end of the day, the conclusion of the day. But they ate breakfast. Breakfast starts something. Breakfast is the start of the day. Breakfast is, the, the, is forward looking. Jesus said, boys, it's daytime. It's daytime when you're going to get to work for me and for my kingdom. Peter's soaking wet. I bet the flames of the fire felt nice as he warmed himself. Swam a hundred yards and now he's like soaking wet and he's standing by the fire and the last time Peter had huddled around a fire that John told us about, it wasn't daytime, it wasn't daylight. It was under the cover of darkness. It was the darkest night of all nights ever. Darkest night of Peter's life for certain. The dark night that he had betrayed Jesus, where he'd stood around the campfire of the enemies and those who had arrested Jesus and he warmed himself and three times he betrayed the Lord and the rooster crowed. And I imagine that as he felt the warmth of this fire that morning and he looked into the fire, I can imagine his heart and his mind having a flashback. A flashback that he hated. Do you ever have those flashbacks? In this life, do you have the flashbacks about yourself where it's like, I hate that. I hate what I did. I hate what I did to Jesus. I hate how I lived. I hate the things I said. Regret and guilt and condemnation comes over you. Remember? Remember when you warmed yourself around the campfire of the enemy? Denying the Lord. Peter was standing there before Jesus and he felt the warmth of the fire and I imagine that in his heart there was condemnation, there was guilt, there was regret, there was sorrow. That he was like glad people didn't know what was going on in his heart and in his mind. Amazing that Jesus never says anything to him. He never like just says, Peter, how could you? Never rubs Peter's face in anything. Jesus never mentions Peter, Peter's denial, but Jesus knows exactly what's going on in Peter's heart and in Peter's mind as he stands by that fire. He knew Peter's thoughts and Jesus knows your thoughts. And so Jesus spoke to Peter, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. It's not a long conversation, but it is a beautiful one. It doesn't take many words when Jesus speaks and your heart can be changed. Transformed. Just like a few words from Jesus and like guilt and condemnation and regret and sorrow and pain, it can be lifted with like, only Jesus can do that. 
And Peter needed Jesus to meet him in his brokenness. Peter needed Jesus to touch the pain of his heart, and that's what Jesus, Jesus did. He didn't say, Peter, you idiot. You denied me three times. I told you. Why didn't you, like, you should have seen it coming. But Jesus did do this. He said something three times to make sure that e with each word, he was blotting out and he was covering with his word. Every one of those three denials that Peter had done, they were all made clean. And, and you know, it's interesting, actually, the original language of this passage is very fascinating because in English, we do this. In English, we have one word for love. So like, I love my wife and I love, I love my truck. Those are two very different things. Like we mean a lot of different things when we say that. But in English, we have, we have just one word. But the New Testament is written in Greek, which has a number of words. Ultimately, it has five words that are used for the expression of describing love. But the New Testament primarily uses three words. Uh, agape, which is like spiritual, unconditional love. Phileo. Phileo is like brotherly love, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And eros, which is like sexual union kind of love between a man and a woman. And so each one of these words is used in the original language to capture the expression of love that's being described. And when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Jesus used one word for love. And Peter used a different word for love. It's very unfortunate that we miss this in English. Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you agape me more than all of these? Remember Peter? Peter boldly proclaimed his love for Jesus. When Jesus went to wash his feet, he said, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, unless, Peter, I wash your feet, you have no part of me. Then he said, okay, Lord, you wash my hands and my head and my feet as well. And Jesus had to, like, give him a little lesson on forgiveness. When Jesus spoke to his disciples and he said, all of you will fall away on account of me, Peter said, they might, Lord, but not me. Not me, Lord. I love you. Though all may fall away, I will never fall away. I will not deny you. P Peter had professed to have a greater love for Jesus. Peter had professed to have a greater commitment to Jesus above all others. But what had happened to him, we know. He denied Jesus. Peter, do you love me more than these? I think Jesus is referring to the, the other disciples. Do, do you Agape me more than everyone else, Peter. Remember, agape is, agape is unconditional love. It's like the highest form of love, a love that gives for the sake of, of, of giving and never expects anything back. It's a love that says God so loved, God so agape the world that he sent his one and only son. Do you love me more than these, Peter? Do you agape me? But Peter answered, and Peter didn't use agape. Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, I phileo you. Phileo's brotherly love. It's, it's kind of like this. It's like a couple dating. You remember when you were dating? It's like you kind of get to that point where it's like the L word's going to come out, the love word. And, and maybe it's the young guy or maybe it's the young woman, who, whoever it is. Let's say it's the young woman for this. She says to him, do you love me? And he's like not ready to commit and say, oh, the L word, this is like serious. I like you a lot, you know. I'm really fond of you. I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah, but do you love me? I really like you, like I swear, you know, but... This is Peter right here. So Jesus asked him a second time, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Yes, Lord. I phileo you. I love you with brotherly love. 
Then the third time Jesus asked Simon, Jesus moves towards Simon. He says this, Simon, son of John, do you phileo me? Peter said, yes, Lord. You know everything. I phileo you. It's an amazing exchange. Peter would profess that though all others fall away, he would never do so. Though all others fall away, I will never do so. Had had some reality checks. He'd seen himself in the mirror. He'd seen himself a little bit more clearly in the, the hard reality of betrayal of his life's betrayal had brought humility and it brought honesty to the big, bold fisherman. Yes, Lord, I phileo you. Peter, I would say this, Peter had reached the point where he didn't want to say something that was untrue. Peter, Peter had reached the point where he didn't trust himself anymore. Always talk so big and brash and bold and jumping in and filling the gap, and I'm the man, Peter. But now he wouldn't make bold, brash claims about himself. He had said things he couldn't live up to. You ever done that? Peter had said things that he couldn't live up to. He said, Lord, I'll go to death with you. Really, Peter? Tonight before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. No, Lord, no. Though all others deny you, I will never betray you. Peter, Peter, you said you'd love me more than all of these. Do you love me more than all of these? I really like you, Lord. I'm fond of you. I like want to see where this is going to go. I phileo you. I think Peter was afraid of himself. You ever get afraid of yourself? Sin has a tendency to do that to you. Sin makes you fear yourself. It's like, what, it, what I am, Jesus, without you is terrifying. Jesus is like, okay, Peter. I, I won't ask you if you love me more than these. You know, that's, I asked you that the first time, but do you love me, Peter? I like you very much, Jesus. Very fond of you. So Jesus takes the step to Peter and, and he says, Peter, do you like me? Are, are, are we brothers? Do you love me like a brother? And, and the text tells us, John tells us, Peter was hurt. This hurt him when Jesus said this to him. But he said, Lord, I can't hide anything from you. You know everything. You knew I would deny you before I knew I would do it. I, I don't trust myself. I, I can't say something that's untrue. I know my heart. I don't want to say more than, I, than I'm willing to go. I'm fond of you, but to say I love you unconditionally and then let you down like I've let you down, I don't trust myself. But I would tell you this. What's important here and what we need to see is this, is that Jesus is signaling that Peter is called, that Peter is reinstated. You know, this is important because your calling to serve Jesus and to work for his kingdom is not based on your love for Jesus. It's based on his love for you. It's not based on your commitment to him. It's based on his commitment to you. It's based on his call upon your life. It's based upon his work in your life. It's not based on your works. It's based on the work of the cross. It's not based on your power. It's based on the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's about Jesus. And Jesus was telling Peter, Peter, everything is right between you and me. It's right. Look after my sheep, Peter. Tend my little ones. Tend my flock, Peter. In, in other words, I, Peter, all I want is this. I want an honest relationship. Look at church. That's what Jesus wants with you. Jesus wants an honest relationship. When you're hurting, tell Jesus I'm hurting. When you're on the top, man, profess your love. Be honest with the Lord. 
And so just to be clear, yeah, Peter's not the first pope. He's the first pastor, if you didn't catch that in this text. Feed my sheep. And here's what Jesus is asking for. Jesus is asking us for this. Jesus is asking for genuine relationship. Jesus is asking for people who are humble enough to say, Lord, I think that's as far as I can go right now. I want to go further. Help me, Lord. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I'll obey what you've said here so far, and I'm going to go there. But help me. He's looking for, for genuine people. And Jesus wiped out three acts of betrayal with three acts of trust. Feed my sheep. I, Peter, I'm going to leave you to leave my sheep to you. And Jesus did not reprimand Peter for returning to fishing, but he did want him to understand that fishing was no longer the business of his life. If you were a mechanic before you met Jesus, and you continued to be a mechanic after you met Jesus, that's wonderful, but being a mechanic is no longer the business of your life. If you were a teacher before Jesus and you met Jesus, and now you're still a teacher, that is wonderful, but teaching is no longer the business of your life. Your business, your business, your business, your mission is to serve King Jesus. All is worship. All belongs to him. That was the business of Peter's life. Peter, I'm going to change you. Yeah, you can fish. Go ahead, do your fishing thing on the side. But you're a shepherd, Peter. You're a shepherd. Peter had once claimed that he was willing to die for Jesus. And Jesus had said to him, really? Well, look at where this goes. I'm going to wrap it up pretty quick here. Verse 18. Jesus said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. You know, the trouble with Peter was this, is that Peter, Peter was a strong-willed man. Any strong-willed men or women in this room? Any self-willed men or women in this room? Well, that's Peter. Peter. Peter did this. Peter did what he want when he wanted. Peter went where he wanted to go. Peter went when he wanted to go. Peter did what Peter wanted to do. Like me and like you. And Jesus says to Peter, when, you're, when you were young, you decided what you wanted and you did what you wanted. You know, Peter, that's been the problem with you. You do what you want. You know, every time Jesus tried to do something for Peter, Peter's correcting Jesus. You see that in the scripture? Oh, not just my feet, Lord, my hands and my head as well. Oh, okay, sorry, I guess I didn't know. I'm an idiot. Like, we need to see the humor of this. Peter, you're going to deny, not me, Lord, I don't deny you. I'm like, he's always like telling Jesus what's what, explaining to Jesus. Well, good thing you're here to make it clear for me, Peter. Peter, a day's coming. You're going to do what you don't want to do. You're going to be taken where you don't want to be taken. Peter knew what it meant. So the rest of his life, you know, he lived with the knowledge that he lived with the knowledge knowing that he was going to die for the name of Jesus, that he was going to die. You're going to, you're going to be stretched out. He knew that Jesus was telling him, you're going to a cross, Peter. Can you imagine that? Do you know that that's what the scripture calls us to? Jesus said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Every day we're called to a cross. I'm like, no, not me, Lord. Not me. I already know that, Lord. I go where I want, when I want, when I do it. That's us. That's us. Every time Jesus tells us to do something, we're like, no, Jesus, it's this way. Pick up your cross. That's the gospel. Pick up your cross and follow me, Jesus said. W one thing it did for Peter was this, it killed his self-will. Because it takes a cross to kill self. It takes a death to glorify God, Jesus said. This is going to happen. It says there, he said this to show him 
by what kind of death he was to glorify God, that there was a death that was going to glorify God, a, a death of self. Jesus said, follow me. Verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. It's John. The one who also leaned, leaned back against him during the supper and said to him, Lord, who is, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Of course, yeah, we know this is John. Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to deal with John differently than you. You're going to die soon. If, Peter, if John's around till I come back, then that's my business. He might live for a long time. Actually, I'll tell you this about John. Well, just telling you that, that this is written in the year 85. John, John is the only disciple to have died by natural means. All of the others uh, died as martyrs for Jesus Christ. That said, John was poisoned, history tells us. He was boiled, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos. But he died of natural causes. <laughs> Lived so long that those who attended him had to actually, church history tells us they had to carry him into the church at Ephesus. And he would say, he was known for saying, little children love one another. That was John. Little children love one another. Carrying them through to, to, to go and teach the word of God. And Jesus says, Peter, never mind John. Mind your own business. I, I'm like, this is me again. Isn't this us? I was like, well, what about him? Well, what about her? Well, what about that person, Jesus? He's like, come on, man. It's you and me. Let's go. Game on. Jesus said, if it's my will that they remain until I come, what's that to you? You follow me. Peter, this isn't about everybody else. This is about you and me, Peter. You and me. You follow me. Church, we would do well to quit looking to our right and to our left and just keep our eyes forward. You follow me. Yes, sir. Verse 23. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Funny how rumors go. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Peter went on. We know this, Peter was crucified, and in fact, Peter said to those who were to crucify him, I am not worthy to die in the manner of my Lord, and he requested to be crucified upside down, and Peter was crucified upside down. That's what church history says. But Jesus says to him, Peter, this isn't speculating what's going on with others. I want action from you, Peter. Quit worrying about everybody else. You follow me. You. And then verse 24, we'll close here. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What a crazy, what an interesting conclusion, you know. First of all, John says, uh, by the way, everything that I've just said is true. I'm the one who's writing it. I saw it all. I was there. I was present. I'm telling you, it's the truth. He says this, Jesus did a lot of other stuff too. Because he, he's an old man. He doesn't have time to like record it all. It's like crazy. He's like, yeah, I think it would... I don't think all the books in the world could contain what Jesus did. A history. That's kind of shocking. Think about that. Is that true? Is that true? Think about this. Is it true that all the books, that's a lot of books, all the books in the world could not contain the history of Je the story of Jesus? It's true. I would tell you, yes, it is true. It's true. You can't hold the, I would actually say this, you can't hold the record of Jesus in the whole universe. In the whole universe. All creation says his name. 
All creation whispers his name, the stars and the moon and the sun and the galaxies and everything and every minutia, atom, cell, every little, the, the universe declares that Jesus exists and points us to who he is. So when John says the books couldn't contain it, you're right, they couldn't. The universe can't contain him. That's why when we get to be with them, church, it's going to be awesome. You're going you're to never grow tired of learning about Jesus. He's just going to say, oh, yeah. That's why, that's why in the Old Testament, when there's visions of the throne, they see four faces because it's like, who is this man? Well, there's another revelation here, and there's another revelation here. And, and John, this is John, and he's like, here's what John said. This is the third time Jesus revealed himself to us. The third time. Three. We're going to spend eternity having Jesus reveal himself to us. And it's going to be awesome. Would you stand with me? Let's pray.